this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. So I have a couple of announcements to make. This is the final program for season two of Seekers. Coming up on 200 programs next week. Season three, tentatively, starts on Monday. So on Friday, tomorrow, I have a uh, personal uh, family event that I have to uh, attend. So uh, I'm going to be attending. So we're going to have some changes, God willing, for season three, uh, starting on Monday. And uh, they're going to include, we're going to, you know, we have an election coming up here in 2024. And we're going to have some election coverage with our analysis out here. We'll try to remain as nonpartisan as possible. I'll give uh, both major political parties and probably some third parties some, uh, some coverage. It's not going to become the political show. Even though Jay Allen has reminded me that he laughs when I say, well, this show's not political because he says, Jim, you always talk politics. Well, maybe so. We're going to have uh, a couple of very large name people in the uh, global warming, uh, climate change, whatever we're calling it this week, uh, movement on, uh, starting next week. Uh, I interviewed them when I was in Florida last week at Orlando at the International Conference on Climate Change. Uh, as usual, I uh, don't go after the... Uh, People, the commentators, or well, I do some, but no, I, I try to go for the leadership of the movement. And this is the uh, loyal opposition to uh, the uh, popular, I'll put it, use that word popular, uh, views on climate change that are being pursued by our government and some other governments. And we're here to give you a lot to think about and uh, just where are we going. And we even talked a little bit about some of our safety plans on there. And uh, because a lot of us are mandated by clients, uh, big clients, to put a lot of stuff into safety plans that we may not agree with. That may not be good. Uh, and now, by some standards, and you know, we can all have, uh, and good is a uh, very su- subjective word, as we know. It means it's like hurt. What does hurt really mean? You can be hurt in a lot of ways. An organization you can be hurt in a lot of ways. I wanted to thank the New American uh, for uh, po- uh, posting an interview uh, of me uh, last week in Orlando. Alex Kurtzman, I believe that's his name, uh, interviewed me on the 
train crash in Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio. And uh, he was shocked. He said, I'm shocked that I found someone like you at an event like this. Right? Uh, with this. So, I might as well just cut to the update on that. So this is as of March 1st. This is yesterday. It's Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. EPA has conducted 578 home and re-entry screenings to date and continues air monitoring at 16 stations within the community. There have been no exceedances. This is off the EPA website. There have been no exceedances for residential air quality standards and outdoor air quality remains normal. What does that really mean? State, local, and federal officials are holding a public meeting at blah, 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 tonight from 6 to 9. And uh, EPA's Community Welcome Center at 25 North Market Street is now open to the community from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. This might be uh, worth a road trip for me. I don't know. Got to see how the schedule dictates here. I haven't been to Ohio in a long time. And that's what the update is for tonight. And I encourage everyone to go to, go to the EPA website. Some more EPA news. EPA announces enforcement actions to control hydrofluorocarbon imports. So as we mentioned uh, with this whole thing with uh, East Palestine, Ohio, uh, chlor- chlorine right, and fluorine is in the other one. Fluorine is... Uh, one of the most is the strongest uh, oxidizer in nature. Uh, so uh, it was banned because of uh, what was it? The uh, ozone hole situation, as I recall. Today, the U.S. EPA announced several enforcement actions that support national and international goals to reduce the use of hydrofluorocarbons in our fight against climate change. So, fight against climate change. These, I'm thinking chlorofluorocarbons for ozone, right? The ozone hole. These civil penalties actions include three landmark settlements with HFC importers who failed to report their imported quantities in violation of the Clean Air Act uh, Greenhouse Gas Reporting Program. Uh, one company received $247, uh, $247,000 in fines, another one $275,000, and a third one $382,000. EPA is aggressively pursuing similar actions against several other importers that failed to report their HFCs. Uh, and... HFCs are commonly used in refrigeration and air conditioning equipment released to the atmosphere uh, HFCs can have a climate impact thousands of times stronger than carbon dioxide. Enforcement of the Greenhouse Gas Reporting Program demonstrates the Biden administration's commitment to address HFCs and protect our climate. We'll talk about that next week. The United States agreed under the Bipartisan AIM Act to phase out, phase down HFC production and consumption by 85% by 2036. Uh, consistent with the international HFC phase down laid out in Kigali Amendment to, in the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol, global efforts to phase down HFCs are expected to avoid up to 0.5 degrees Celsius 
of global warming by 2100. Accurate reporting of HFCs helps uh, sound policy and going forward under the HFC phase sound will allow the United States to verify we are meeting limits under the AIM Act. EPA announces listing sessions on potential CERCLA enforcement discretion uh, policy uh, for addressing PFAS, polyfluor, uh, I'll get what that is. PFAS contamination at Superfund sites. The U.S. EPA Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance announces two public listening sessions to receive individual input related to concerns about potential liability under the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation uh, Liability Act, right, CERCLA, commonly known as Superfund, or as we used to say, Superfund. The input received will be reviewed and considered by EPA in drafting a circular per and here, here it is per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. That's PFAS enforcement discretion and settlement policy to the extent that PFAS cleanup enforcement efforts occur under circular. There will be opportunities to provide verbal input during the input uh, during the public listening sessions and written input submissions in a separate form. These listening sessions will focus on an enforcement policy related to responsible parties' financial obligations under PFAS contamination response actions. Uh, when are the dates of the sessions? Tuesday, March 14th, and Thursday, March 23rd. Check the EVA website out for that. Some uh, news from OSHA. OSHA to provide an in-person online training event on workplace safety, health, and for federal agency employees. The U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA will offer three-day training, a uh, three-day training event, August 8th through 10th, 2023, in Arlington Heights, Illinois, for federal workers responsible for their agency's workplace safety and health. OSHA's Office of Federal Agency Programs and its OSHA Training Institute will conduct a series of in-person and online half-day seminars on a variety of workplace safety uh, topics. These include fall protection, accident investigation, construction focus for confined spaces, workplace violence, job hazard analysis, machine guarding, forklift and material handling, and safety data sheets. Attendance is free and open only to federal employees. To participate, register between June 5th and July 14th, and uh, they have contact info. Now, I go, one of my favorite websites for uh, news here uh, is Study Finds. Uh, because they have some really <laughs> funny studies here. I'm so, some of these are funny, some of these are very mundane. As you know, we have to find out that we have to study everything here. And, uh, Hold on one second. I'm going to take a break. I have to do something. Hang on. Warning. The following broadcast contains adult language, adult content. Oh. Wrong button. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. 
So anyway, I'm back. Now I get down in the basement, and uh, where I'm broadcasting from, we had uh, the basement converted into a studio. And now I come down here, and it's, especially in the winter time, it's cold, right? Because uh, cold air sinks, right? So I end up shutting the door, and then uh, before long, uh, it's got to be ninety in here now, right? Anyway, uh, so I, I go to study funds. Some of these studies are pretty funny here, right? Uh, but they're relevant to safety when you think about it and uh, the environment, which is what we talk about here. We finally have an answer to one of life's greatest mysteries. What, what is that? The best way to cook pasta. Turns out the first step to cooking a delicious pot of pasta is preventing table salt from chemically reacting with disinfectant chemicals, which may be in your tap water. Hmm. Really? Because you listen to the Food Network, and one of the chefs uh, says you got to put salt in with the pasta, right? Of course, this science experiment had a bigger goal than just creating the next Chef Boyardee or Boyardee. The researchers wanted to examine how table salt interacts with chloramine-treated drinking water. So this has an environmental thing because we're talking about drinking water here, right? Oh, and by the way, where I used to live in Hoboken, New Jersey... They had a water main break, and they're all on bottled water, or they're having uh, water main issues. Well, guess what? Uh, welcome to late 1990s, early 2000s in Hoboken, where we had to boil water all the time. But they would tell you like two or three days later, oh, you know, we had a problem. Let me explain. Let me, this is a little bit of an aside. But any time that they're doing water uh, line work in, in a neighborhood, right, you're on the public water system, you probably should boil the water. All right, because it takes like 24 to 48 hours to test the water uh, and get results. And they're not testing the water uh, in your tap water. So just to let you know. So I would probably just run everything, right? Run the water, you know, drink bottled water. Things. That's me, though. I'm a little bit paranoid. And as I said in the New American interview, that we have environmental monitoring equipment here. So most countries, including the United States, have tap water treated with chlorine or chloramine before it enters kitchen or bathroom faucets. These chemical compounds act as disinfectants to eliminate deadly germs from the water supply. However, there is a chance that small amounts of these disinfectants remain in water when people use it for cooking. Focus on chlorinated water and table salt comes together, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, let's go down and find out what it is. The team boiled elbow macaroni in tap water containing chloramine and salt. The first test involved cooking the pasta and going on and on. And they... Measured amounts of six iodinated thio, thi, uh, I'm sorry, six iodinated trihalomethanes, potentially co- and potentially toxic compounds in the food and leftover pasta water. Both the cooked food and the pasta water showed signs of all six iodinated trihalomethanes. However, the concentrations of each toxic product differed depending on how the dish was prepared. Really. The team found four ways to lower your risk of having contaminated byproducts in your noodles. Okay, this is the, the important part. Pasta should boil without a lid. Boiling without a lid lets vaporized, chlorinated, and iodinated compounds leave the food and water. The second way is to strain your noodles from the water uh, they're cooking in to remove most contaminants. Should also add iodized table salt after, after cooking the pasta. Uh, uh, after cooking the pasta, right? So you can have iodized salt 
not iodized salt. They're saying iodized salt because why, why is that? My understanding is that they put iodine, iodine in salt because uh, there was a huge iodine deficiency in the, in the world uh, prior to World War II, and this would uh, result in thyroid issues. So they add iodine in it, right? Fortify it. Lastly, if you insist on boiling your pasta in salted water, opt for an iodine-free salt option like kosher salt and Himalayan salt to avoid harmful chemical reactions. Do-do-do. Study is published in the Journal of Environmental Science and Technology. Wow. Now for a little bit something more mundane. A giant Jurassic-era insect, and this is from yesterday, uh, I was reading this, found in Arkansas at a Walmart. Wow. I wonder if he was a greeter. Walmart seems to be stocked with pretty much everything, including a rare insect that dates back to prehistoric times called the giant lacewing. Researchers say the bug was discovered in Kansas, Arkansas. First recorded sighting in eastern North America in over 50 years and the first giant lacewing discovered in the state. So I remembered it vividly because I was walking into Walmart to get milk and I saw this huge insect on the side of the building. I said Michael, Michael Squarla, the director of Penn State's Insect Identification Lab, who was a doctoral student at the University of Arkansas at the time of the discovery. I thought it looked interesting, so I put my hand, put it in my hand and did the rest of my shopping with it in between my fingers. I go home Mounted it. I th- no, that's like on a microscope, not the other kind of mount, right? I got home, mounted it, and promptly fa- forgot about it for almost a decade. While uh, Kvarla actually found this insect in 2012, he misidentified it and only recently uncovered its true identity when the COVID pandemic hit eight years, eight years later. Well, thank God for that. We know what this was. Guarla was teaching an online insect biology course at Penn State when he showed students microscopic samples of his personal insect collection. While lecturing on a specimen he previously labeled an antelion, he quickly realized his features did not match those of the dragonfly-like predatory insect. The insect, uh, the wingspan of this insect was 50 millimeters, way too large for the average antelion. And... Uh, no, they were shocked, basically. I won't go on and read the rest. Now, I'm going to do a shout-out to a per- professor of mine in college, uh, Jamie Cromarty, who was the uh, president of the American Entomological Society. I think he would be tickled pink about this story. I'm going to drop a line to his uh, widow, uh, Alex uh, Gitchell, uh, because I tell you what, I think he would tick, be tickled pink because he, uh, uh, no, he says a lot, he used to say a lot of discoveries happened, uh, uh, ha- happened uh, over this, uh, like by amateurs, by non-professionals. This was a student who uh, found this. So it was really uh, interesting. And here's another person who can't get away from his work. A geologist goes on vacation and finds a giant meteorite crater in a winery. This is in Frankfurt, Germany. For one German geologist, a holiday trip to France has become the scientific discovery of his career. Beneath the Domaine de Meteor winery, 
Professor Frank Venker says there's a previously undiscovered meteorite crater. Only the fourth such crater found in Western Europe. One of the strongest pieces of evidence we have of meteor collisions are the craters they leave on the Earth's surface. While these ancient craters are still visible today, erosion and shifting of plate tectonics in the Earth's crust make them very hard to find. The Earth Impact Database lists 190 craters worldwide. Okay, we're going to have to bookmark that. You know what? Let's let's look that up. I know I do this every night. These are like the first time I'm seeing these stories. So you're getting raw commentary and raw, uh, uh, no reactions from me. Let's go look up the Earth Impact Database. I gotta see this website because there may be. Imagine if there's one in my neighborhood. The Earth Impact da- Database from the Planetary and Space Science Center. Okay, where is the database? And it has here. Do you think you've discovered, and this is PASSC.net, it has a thing in there. Do you think you discovered an impact crater? Do you think you discovered a meteorite? Would you like to see a map of all terrestrial craters? Yeah, okay, let's see. Do, do, do. Where's the map? Okay, so here we are. I'm clicking on the map of North America. Ooh, any in my neighborhood. Okay, there's a lot in the Midwest. The nearest one to New York is the Chesapeake Bay. Oh, I didn't know that. Chesapeake Bay is a meteorite, right? Ooh. And the link is dead. Uh, where's the other one? There's one in Ohio. Serpent Mound in Ohio. There's one up in Ontario, Holliford. There's one in Nova Scotia. So I did not realize that the Chesapeake Bay is a uh, has a meteorite. Who knew? Uh, and then, of course, the most popular one, Yucatan in Mexico. And uh, the last one, no, I went to the one out in uh, Arizona uh, in the Barringer Crater. Uh, been there. That's probably the most famous one in the United States. And uh, there's one in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, maybe you guys that are out there for the uh, safety event next week with Todd Conklin and uh, Jay Allen and Crab, maybe you want to go and look at it. That would probably be a really uh, interesting thing. But anyway, we learned something here. So this guy's out. Hey, he's on vacation, and all of a sudden, hey, look at this. I found it. Ain't that the way it is? YouTube is spreading misinformation about good sleep habits. Oh, really? Uh, You mean YouTube? And people are finding bad information on YouTube and TikTok and all the rest? Who would have thought? Right? Case in point, researchers from Brigham and Women's Hospital are revealing an alarming Amount of medical misinformation within videos discussing sleep disorders. Even worse, popular videos from bloggers containing both misinformation and consumer bias appear to attract far more views than expert-led videos. 
Well, what, you needed a study for that? Look at what we went through with COVID. Now, we're safety professionals here. And part of the reason why we have this here uh, uh, program is that we... Uh, no, you, there's a lot of bad safety information out there. Look at the whole COVID thing. Now, people who have been uh, experts in respiratory protection, biological safety are ignored. But some guy on TikTok or Instagram, right, who, who uh, consults Dr. YouTube and Dr. Google, all of a sudden becomes the expert on all this stuff, right? Doctors, you know, like I said, if... You get a lot of medical information, too, especially in the masks. There were a whole bunch of studies that came out this week. I haven't covered them. Was that this is all groove? No, with the masks. And they knew it. And they said, anyway, well, my, my opinion is, is that people have respiratory protection. That's a hell of a lot better than a mask. A mask that's not nitrated, not no certifications from any organization. And, uh, you know. Everything else. Why do people view unreliable content? As far as why people seem to favor bloggers over actual medical professionals, researchers chalk up on this trend to content creators' ability to produce media that is engaging, aesthetically appealing, and relatable. Well, yeah, I get that. I mean, I get that comment all the time. I, you know, some of the things, uh, comments that I get on this show is, holy crap, because you can actually keep people's attention for 10 minutes. Right, uh, what these uh, what these releases you're doing? But anyway, it's uh, something else. A uh, family member just saw a, uh, a medical uh, a doctor today, and they uh, said, "Look, you're not getting enough sleep. You need eight hours of sleep." That's what you know, just the way it is. Overclassification, overgoal. U.S. is drowning in a sea of secrets. Uh, this was released today on this website, but this has been an ongoing uh, issue on, no, throughout. Uh, I have to say, I've been aware of this going back to as far as 2004, 2005, roughly, where uh, with patents, something like 40 to 50% of all submissions to U.S. Patent and Trademark Office are declared eminent, under eminent uh, domain or seized by the government. That's why a lot of people do not uh, have products out there that are trade secrets. They classify them on as and not patents. Uh, no, uh, because of uh, things are getting seized and there are other issues are getting things patented. Uh, because everything becomes a uh, public record. Uh, first time I heard of this was, I think, 2001 on patents. Uh, so I'll, I'll, this is a little, uh, uh, this is a little bit of a, uh, of a divergent, yeah, a tangent, but yeah, well, if it wasn't a tangent, if we didn't have tangents, we wouldn't have safety wars live. All right. Uh, I had uh, my Aunt Susan... My dear Aunt Susan, she had, uh, she, my uncle Dave, who's my father's brother, uh, married Susan. And Susan had her grandfather, Max. I forget his last name. He was a very successful businessman. And you're, and everybody here has been impacted by him. Right? Everybody here uh, listening to the sound of the voice. 
And some Max, and I was at a Christmas party, a holiday party, a Christmas slash Hanukkah party, and uh, with him, I said, Max, can I ask you a question? He said, certainly, Jimmy. I, I said, I know you're a successful businessman, and there's a lot of you know, murmurings and everything in the background. What were your, what kind of business were you? What was the secret to your success? If he was still alive, I'd have him on the show. And he said, well, get me a drink and I'll tell you. So I got him a drink, whatever he was drinking. And he, he started telling me over a glass of wine, I believe it was. And he says, well, this is what it was. Uh, do you remember Coke bottles back in the 1920s? I said, no, I was born in 1970, but I know I'm familiar with the Coke bottles. And he said, you know that they were forged, right? And it said Coca-Cola on it. I said, yeah, I know that. He said, well, in 1934, height of the depression, my business partner, my friend and I, we had a business and we created the process for printing on a bottle, on a curved surface. I said, really? And he said, that's why Coca-Cola and all the other soda manufacturers, they stopped using forged bottles. And what they did was they created these printing thing and everything on the side where we printed on that. Said I made a million dollars in 1935. I said, well, did you patent it? He said, I wouldn't patent anything. Are you kidding me? He said, I, he said, I got a trade secret on it and it kept, was kept secret for many, many, many years. And then other people figured out how to do it, but that's where I made the bulk of my money. And then uh, I went into after, and you know, they changed the soda bottles in like the seventies. And uh, if you remember the old, uh, quart uh, uh, soda bottles. They had a styrofoam label over the whole bottle. I'm sure that you can Google those somewhere. They're probably worth a fortune. He says, okay. Uh, he said, well, uh, then I went into vending machines. And he said, I was the exclusive vending machine cover manufacturer in the United States. So you have a vending machine and it says like Coke or Pepsi or whatever. He was the guy, his company that he owned made every one of those things, every one of those uh, vending machine covers. Uh, no, on the front that said whatever, Coke, Sprite, whatever, uh, no, Dr. Pepper. And, you know, eventually there were other companies, but for a while he was the only one who made them. He made them reliable. He said the big thing was that they broke. So he said, and he, he was the first one there. And the second one was I had uh, been involved in a, uh, someone trying to get a patent for a vend for a voting machine uh, as after the 2000 uh, presidential election debacle. And there was a law that came out called the Help USA Vote Act. And for years, there were no voting machines that were uh, that were uh, compliant with the law. And it's even some people say that the current ones aren't even uh, compliant with the law. And it would have, uh, the way that this was set up, it would have complied with the law and it was, un, uh, we'll just say it was, uh, you couldn't mess with the vote numbers, right? A lot of uh, the stuff, and you know, you could go, there's conspiracy theories out here. There are also legitimate comments on the way that we vote in the United States, with that, and uh, I got into, I went, did a deep dive with this. Case in point, there are two stories that came out yesterday on voting, uh, uh, 
on voting. Uh, let's see if I can find them. But anyway, let me get back to the story. Overclassification, overkill. U.S. government is drowning in its sea of secrets. The U.S. faces far more threats to its national security than from spy balloons or classified documents discovered in former and current presidents' homes. About This is from study finds here. About 50 million more threats every year. That's the estimated number of records annually classified as confidential, secret, or top secret by the U.S. government. The U.S. has an overclassification problem, which experts say ironically threatens national security. Those in the intelligence field, along with at least eight special commissions through the decades, acknowledge the security risk of nearly 2,000 workers processing tens of millions of classified records each year, which could be viewed and potentially leaked or misplaced by more than 4.2 million government employees and contractors have access to them. I have seen the security creep, right? Meaning, no, a creep as in not a creep, right? But a meaning a bad person, a weird person, but a creep, meaning a slow movement, right? More classification and more withholding of information by the government growing for decades. As a scholar who studies freedom of information as a recent President of the National Freedom uh, Information Coalition and everything. Who is this? This is, uh, the, the doesn't say, maybe it'll say later in the article. Classified federal records are made secret based on categories defined by the president through executive orders, not law. These records can include just about anything from government employee deems confidential, secret, top secret, or sensitive or restrictive. All right. What are the uh, uh, what's what's the takeaway here? Uh, experts and uh, members of Congress acknowledge that ninety percent of classified records do not need to be classified. Uh, the nine eleven uh, commission uh, concluded that excessive classification inhibited the ability of defense agencies to share critical files, contributing to the terrorist success and killing three thousand. Americans, they said no one has to pay the long-term costs of overclassifying information through these costs, even in fin- literal financial terms are sus- uh, substantial. Uh, overclassification leads to more leaking of dangerous information. Uh, according to some, overclassification impedes information uh, sharing by uh, agencies and makes people trust the system less. Some government employees may even come to believe the system is too secretive that may encourage dangerous information leaks from within the government. Thinking Edward Snowden here, right? What, what's the history of this? Here you go. Uh, the Constitutional Convention uh, in 1787 was held in secret and the Senate debated the Bill of Rights behind closed doors in 1791. Congress didn't print its approved laws for the public until 1795. Uh, nearly two decades after the founding of the United States and six years after the Constitution's ratification. And it goes on and on uh, throughout history. This is more like the uh, national treasure, right? So, uh, we're going to take a break here. And we're going to go on. 
In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. And welcome to the last program for Season 2 of Safety Wars. So uh, we forego, we forwent, or we did not, uh, I don't know what the word, how do you say, forgo, forgot? I don't know. We did not do any war news this week, and that was on purpose. Let's just say... Vuvno is getting real. Withdraw from nuclear treaties. Threats. Russia using uh, waves of human bodies. Hoping that the Ukrainians run out of ammunition before they run out of people. Right? Right? War, as uh, Smedley, but, uh, Smedley Butler said. Was it Smedley Butler? Butler? War is a racket. So, I enjoy reading the Straits Times from Singapore. Because I tell you what, they give a very good... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very good coverage from outside the United States. And uh, especially on their worker occupational safety and health stuff. Uh, and I love the name of their uh, occupational safety and health uh, agency. Right? We have OSHA. They have MOM. Ministry of Manpower. So, 
Plastic consumption, I, I don't, I wonder how that translates in uh, whatever uh, language they speak in Singapore. I'm not even sure. Uh, plastic consumption on course nearly to nearly double by 2050. Plastic use in a group of 20 G20 uh, countries is set to nearly double by the middle of the century unless a comprehensive and legally binding treaty to curb consumption is drawn up, research published on Monday's shows. Uh, existing programs reduce recycling and cut single-use plastic consumption only scratch the surface, and a more comprehensive global plan is required, according to Blue to Back to Blue, research group by the Economist Impact Think Tank and Nippon Foundation, a private philanthropic organization. So uh, the United uh, Nations kicked off negotiations on an agreement to tackle plastic pollution in Uruguay in November with the aim... Uh, of drawing up a legally binding treaty by the end of uh, 2024. I applaud this, all right? So I might not agree with environmental groups on global warming completely. However, there's a lot of agreement, and I am more radical than a lot of mainstream environmentalists on most environmental issues. I'm going to be right up up front with you with that. One of the things that disgusts me the most is plastic pollution. I grew up in Woodbridge, New Jersey, across from the Fresh Kills landfill. So Woodbridge Township consists of uh, several towns, uh, Port Reading, uh, Sea Warren, and uh, Port Reading and Sea Warren are across the bay from our, I'm sorry, across the Arthur Kill River from the Fresh Kills landfill. Those are two parts of Woodbridge. And I remember uh, with the boats, uh, well, no, we were big boating people. Uh, I was a member of Raven Ship 89, the Sea Scouts in Carteract, New Jersey, uh, on Roosevelt Avenue. There was at the end of Roosevelt Avenue in the hill section of Carteract. Uh, and and uh, it was the old ferry, a uh, Carteret ferry uh, uh, terminal, right? That uh, was part of the FMC. I'm not sure who owns it now, FMC property. And uh, Sea Warren had uh, Boynton Beach, uh, which uh, back in the early 1920s, that got destroyed when the oil companies moved in and pollution and everything. And now every time it rained, Stuff was coming at, off the Fresh Kills landfill and ended up on the beaches of Woodbridge. Woodbridge used to be, Woodbridge Township used to be the beginning of the Jersey Shore. They used to have, on uh, the Woodbridge River, they had, uh, uh, that was Boynton Beach, they had beautiful uh, uh, beaches and everything else. And um, on Smith's Creek over there, right? And I know I'm getting hyper-local here. Now, that, that now they converted it into a park. That was all contaminated because of Fresh Kills Landfill. And our former governor, who was the mayor of Woodbridge, sued New York City because of all the garbage. I mean, when I talk garbage, it was garbage. Now, friend of this program, I'm not sure if she's a listener or not, but I have been in contact with her over the years, Allison Teal. Uh, she runs a uh, website, and uh, let's see. Uh, let me make sure I got this right. Allison Teal, right? She is a filmmaker, right, known as the uh, uh, 
female Indiana Jones, the real life Indiana Jones, you know, the character Indiana Jones was based on a real guy, right? Uh, a real person. Well, they have uh, uh, this uh, very, this, I don't know what to tell. She's a filmmaker. She has a very interesting life. Uh, she runs a website, Allison Adventures, and she's on Instagram, uh, Allison Teal, and she uh, has a phenomenal book, uh, Allison's Adventures. Uh, now, she was in Time Magazine. She was also on the Discovery Channel, Naked and Afraid, Allison Teal. And uh, you could go and you could look that up. I'm sure all the a lot of people are out there googling that right now. And she uh, uh, had a uh, no. So she uh, no grew up around the world. Her parents were national worked for National Geographic as photographers, and she grew up all over the world uh, with people. And uh, she uh, now lives in Hawaii with her parents on like a. a as off the grid as you could get in Hawaii, I guess. And her big issue is plastic pollution. She did a movie, a short movie, on uh, the Maldives. And the amount of plastic in the Maldives. You're talking plastic bottles all over the place. And other plastics and the effects of microplastics on the marine environment. Right, we talk about this stuff here. And she came out uh, with a book, Allison's Adventures, Your Passport to the World. Phenomenal book, uh, especially for like a uh, young reader. My uh, daughter loves this book. She's eight years old, right? And, uh, you know, great book. All, and she and anyway, in the, her movie, her short movie goes into th this problem. Huge issue with plastic consumption here, Uh with this. So, uh, again, I remember in the early 1990s, and I'm sorry, early 1980s, we made the uh, 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 jump in our society and we were shamed into using plastic bags at the, at the supermarket from paper to plastic because we were told that plastic biodegrades and you're going to save the. Uh, it was sold to the public that you're going to save the rainforests and all these forests because of no not using paper bags. Well, it comes to later. What do we have? What do we have a problem with? We have a problem with microplastics in the environment. Very, very frustrating. Uh, see if she wants to come on the program because I tell you what, she is. Uh, she's very passionate about this, and I like to see that uh, with. Uh, now I can talk like an old man, right? With the younger generation here. It's um, very... Uh, now, with people like her, I think we're going to be okay uh, in this world. So, plastic consumption up. And, you know, it's a shame. Now, here's another one. Uh, in Greece. So, Greece had a massive... Uh, uh, train disaster this year. And uh, this week. Well, this year, too, is the worst strain disaster in uh, Greek history, in Larissa, Greece. Anchor and Sorrow, that's Larissa, uh, no, like uh, Captain Picard's girl, uh, Admiral Picard's girlfriend in Picard, right? And uh, Anger and Sorrow grew in Greece on Thursday over a devastating train crash that killed dozens of passengers along with crew members near the central city of Larissa in the country's worst rail disaster. 
Carriages were thrown off the tracks, crushed and engulfed in flames, and a high-speed passenger train with more than 350 people on board collided head-on with a freight train on Tuesday. They were on the same track. The number of dead rose to 57 among... Them university students returning home after long holiday weekend. Scores were injured. It was just sh- no. It, it's no. They're blaming the government and the rail company and everything else. I love. I again, just like with our situation in East Palestine, Ohio, we need to do an investigation here. They need to do an investigation before they have a uh, uh, before they we have a knee jerk reaction and have bad solutions here. Uh, there was a the union, uh, the railway workers union, uh, went launched a strike in protest at ground train services to a halt across the country on Thursday. Um, and going on and on, I, I mean, they, the details of this are, I you know, and the pictures are horrible here. Let's talk about financial news. It's been a while. We've uh, haven't talked about that. Dow Jones Industrial is up 33,003, right? 330357, uh, up 1.5%. 1. 1. S&P 500 is up 3,981. NASDAQ is up 11,462. Russell 2000 is up 1902.66, up 0.22%. U.S. 10 year Treasury has broken 4%. Right, four point oh five eight. Uh, gold. Oh, well, let's we'll, we'll talk about gold in a minute. Bitcoin at twenty two three twenty four seventy eight. Crude oil at seventy seven eighty. On the precious metals front, gold is up today five dollars eighteen eighteen forty eight eighty. Silver is up twenty one twenty three. Platinum up nine eighty four thirty. And palladium is up fourteen eighty eight. Uh, on that. So a lot of things are up. So, uh, hey, we finished that right on time with the music. And we have 10 minutes to go here. Let's see what we're going to do. I have a whole bunch of stories lined up here. You can never prepare enough. Trucks, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Trucks hauling U.S. mail frequently violate safety rules. Crashes killed 79 people since 2020. As we know, uh, the biggest killer of people in the workforce are not falls. What? We always concentrate on falls. No, they're motor vehicle accidents. Who would have known? And of course... A computer locks up. You gotta love it. Son of a gun. For years, the U.S. Postal Service, this is an article by Christopher Weaver. For years, the U.S. Postal Service has faced competition. Uh, again, computer locked up. Hopefully, we're still broadcasting. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta love 
live programming. Okay, here we go. For years, the U.S. Postal Service has faced competitions from other people to fight them off and hire outside trucking companies to cut rate, at cut rate prices, require them to meet aggressive schedules, and look the other way when they ran afoul of highway safety rules, according to Wall Street Journal. The result has been deadly. Postal contractors have been involved in at least 68 fatal crashes. So there are... Uh, right... Uh, that's a lot. 68 fatal crashes that killed 79 people in the past three years, according to police crash and inspection records. Nearly 50 long-haul trucking contractors that moved mail from the Postal Service had safety records so poor that another arm of the federal government, the Transportation Department, put them on probation. So, uh, biggest violations included... Fatigue violations, meaning the limit on how many hours truckers can drive. Jay Allen can probably tell you a whole bunch uh, about that. Uh, about 39% of trucking companies that hold U.S. mail, by the way, Jay Allen came up in the safety field and through DOT, right? God bless him because I tell you what, I get confused by DOT every time I have to, you know, I have to uh, teach anything with it because, and a lot of safety professionals just say the hell with it because it's so confusing. And it gets changed all the time. Now, 39% of trucking companies that hauled U.S. mail busted those limits and related rules at a rate of DOT raises red flags compared with 13% of four higher trucking firms that were inspected during the same time period. A journal analysis of DOT scoring data covering 2021 and 2022. Now, this is what I'm going to say here from other sources I've read. And my understanding is that there's a shortage of truck drivers and a lot of people who would not be truck drivers in the past are now truck drivers today. And, uh, one of the things is the automation here is, uh, that's why people are pushing for automation because there's not enough truck drivers. I, but I tell you what, the truck driving, especially with, uh, especially with, uh, 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 what's what's the word I'm looking for? Truck driving is a very good bit, uh, very good business if you can get into it. The ones that are the highest demand, you're gonna laugh when I tell you this. Around here in the United States, all right, uh, are uh, I'm sorry, in the New York, New Jersey area, are the honey wagons. Jimmy, what are the honey wagons? Those are the porta potty cleaners. You want to talk about a buddy of mine tried to get into that? The waiting list on that was astronomical to be a honey, honey wagon driver, right? Uh, the, the one in uh, the local one here had like a two-year waiting list because one, it's high turnover because you're dealing with Guvano every day. Uh, first thing, number two, is it's a burnout environment. I mean, I said, well, I said to him, Rob, right? My buddy Rob, I said, Rob, how much are they paying? And this was like eight years ago. Rob's been dead for a number of years here. Rest in peace, Rob. Uh, he was saying, they're bringing in like 70, 80 grand a year. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. I said, well, what do you need? He says, you, you need a CDL. And, uh, you know, you got to be able to deal with Groovno. And I said, wow, well, you know, I deal with Groovno every day. But uh, bull Groovno. Uh, and we're going to cover this uh, one also. 
is there's a lot of uh, talk the last couple of years uh, with our uh, personnel in Havana, Cuba, American personnel. So this is something I found out uh, one time when this came up, this uh, story came up. So the United States does not have an embassy or did not have an embassy in Cuba, but they did have things that are less than an embassy in Cuba. And apparently now we have an embassy in Cuba again. All right. Uh, the illness known as Havana Syndrome, reported by hundreds of U.S. intelligence and other officials overseas, was likely have, unlikely to have been the work of a foreign adversary targeting American personnel, according to New U.S. intelligence report. In the report released Wednesday, U.S. intelligence agencies found no credible evidence that any foreign adversary possess a weapon or intelligence collection device that is causing the injuries. The report, the main findings of which were released by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, doesn't pinpoint a cause for the wide range of symptoms that have been reported by 1,500 U.S. employees since first cases emerged in Havana, Cuba in late 2016, but it says they were probably uh, caused by a number of a uh, combination of other factors, including pre-existing medical conditions, conventional illnesses, and environmental things. Interesting with that. Uh, there's been a lot of theories on that in uh, the internet world, how that uh, did. Now, if you're a diabetic, this is actually uh, good news here. Uh, so Eli Lilly is going to put me putting a cap on insulin. So my question is this, and of course the computer, I'm having an issue. I got to restart, but I think we can make it for the next, uh, how many minutes do I have here? I think we can make it for the next minute here. I'm going to be on the air, on the air. So, uh, Eli Lilly apparently put a cap on insulin prices. I think that's a great thing. Uh, Eli Lilly cuts in, uh, insulin prices by 70% of its commonly prescribed insulins and the expansion of its insulin value program. So uh, Lispro, the insulin Lispro, right? It's non-branded insulin, insulin Lispro uh, injection uh, went down to $25 a vial. That does not sound like the pen, but the actual old-fashioned vial and syringe. The cutting the price of Humalog, which is insulin Lispro injection, which is the most commonly presided insulin. That's an insulin pen where you put a needle on the end and you use it. It's much easier to use than a syringe and, and vial, right, uh, with that. And the other one is Resoglar injection, a basal insulin that's similar to the interchangeable Lantus, and that's short-term insulin, right? You have uh, basal and bolus, right? Insulin. So this is the basal version of the insulin. And what is basal insulin again? Let me, I get these mixed up. The basal insulin is the slow acting uh, insulin. So it acts and it, over long term. The bolus is the short term insulin. All right, so uh, that's good. Uh, things are getting discounted with this. Uh, this is might be in response to uh, no really bad press by these people. So, uh, thank you for listening to season three, uh, season two, season three. It's coming up on Monday. Have a great weekend. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.